So I think we're going to have a reading, is that right? Yes. Can you do that? So it, if you've got a Bible, can you turn to Luke chapter 15? It's going to come up on the screen otherwise. So it's a story that you'll all know quite well, I think. Here we go. So uh, Luke 15, verse 11, and through to the end of the chapter. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to the father, to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together everything that he had, set off for a distant country, and there he squandered uh, his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and earth and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the breast robe and put it on him. Bring a ring on his, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. (laughs) Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called out, uh, he called one of the servants and, and asked him, What's going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we, have, we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So let's just pray, and then uh, we'll look at this story together. Father, we thank you for this uh, story that Jesus Christ told us. And we pray this morning, as we look at it together, you'll speak to us, speak to our hearts and to our minds and to our wills, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, uh, can I just say, it's great to be back. Um, Thank you very much, Ed for inviting me back, and uh, I normally like to start with a story. Uh, people often think that if you're a vi- I'm actually a vicar, 
in the Church of England, people often think if you're a vicar that you come from a great long line of vicars. And uh, I don't. Um, my father was a pilot. He was a, a test pilot and uh, an airline pilot. Before that, he was in the RAF. And I heard this story. I don't think it's true, but I did quite enjoy it when I heard it. About a pilot who uh, was flying in one of these little single-engined aeroplanes, and he had three passengers on board with him. He had uh, the brain of Britain with him. He had a bishop, and he also had a student. Uh, And he had three parachutes with him on, on the plane. Anyway, the plane ran into problems. Basically, the engine stopped, and uh, the first person to speak was the pilot, and he said, look, I am the pilot, uh, and uh, I've uh, got a wife and two children. I, I think you ought to let me have the first parachute. So they discussed it, and they agreed. So he took a parachute, and he jumped. The second person to speak was the brain of Britain, and he said, well, look, he said, I am the brain of Britain, and uh, therefore I'm very important, And I think, really, for the future of Britain, you should let me have the second parachute. So they agreed. So he took the second parachute, and he jumped. And that left the bishop and the student. So the bishop turned to the student, and he said, Look, he said, I've lived a good long time, and I'm ready to die. Uh, Why don't you take the parachute and you jump? Which was a great thing to say, actually, in the circumstance. And uh, the student turned to him, and he said, But Bishop, there are two parachutes here. And the bishop said, why is that? And he said, the brain of Britain took my rucksack. (laughs) So, there you go. Now, um, this has really got nothing to do with what I'm going to talk about, but I did like it. Um, I hope that's not the only thing you remember from this morning. Now, I want to talk today about uh, this story that uh, Jesus uh, tells us in, which Luke records in chapter 15 of his gospel. And I I want to uh, talk really about the search for happiness. And uh, actually, that is something that everybody's looking for. If you interview people in this country and you say to them, What's your main purpose of life or living? Most people will say to you, and I've done this many times, most people will say to you, my main purpose in living is to be happy. Everyone wants to be happy. Uh, And so I want to to look at that subject through the lenses of this, this story. And I want you to try and imagine this morning, you're not in a... I was going to say a church, but you're not actually in a church, you're in a school. Try and imagine that you're not in a school, but you're in a theatre. So you're about to see a a drama, it's called the drama of life, and so you're going to need to use your imagination a little bit this morning. And uh, you're going to see a play, uh, and in the play there are three acts, and each act has got a number of little scenes in it. So let's have a look at the first scene, and I've called this or the first act, and it's called Sick of Home. Now, can I say that at the end of my talk, there is going to be an opportunity for people to respond. So I will give you a a chance at the end to respond, and I'll explain a little bit more about that later on. So the first act I've called Sick of Home, 
and it's in verses 11 and 12. And I'll, if you've got it on your phone, do follow it. Uh, if you've got a Bible, do follow it. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he, the father, divided his property between them. Now, scene one, try and imagine a beautiful home. Not unlike some of the homes I've seen in this part of England. (laughs) There are some beautiful homes around here. Maybe some of you live in some of them. So I want you to try and imagine a large country house with acres of garden and an elderly father. And the father is full of kindness and love. And he's got two sons who live with him. And the younger son is tired of being at home. He's rather bored. He's rather restless. And he's heard of the excitement of the city. So he goes to his father and he says, Father, can I have, or dad, can I have my share of the inheritance that is due to come to me? Now, Jewish law said that if you were the younger son, you were entitled to uh, one third of the inheritance. If you were the older son, you were entitled to two-thirds. Now, in the story, and this is actually very important, uh, Jesus tells us that the father gave him what he asked for. So he divided his property between them. So that's scene one. Now, scene two, leaving home. So try and imagine this young friend, he's leaving home. It's a beautiful morning. The sun is shining. The birds are singing. The air is full of fragrance. It's springtime. There's blossom on the trees. And our young friend is so excited as he makes his way down the tree-lined avenue of his home. And he's not really thinking of his father, who's watching him go. He's really thinking of one thing, and that's where he's going, to the city, the far-off country. So he opens the gate... And he goes out into, but he doesn't realize it at the time, he's going out into a false and a cruel world. So that is scene two. And he doesn't even bother to turn around and say goodbye to his father. Now, uh, Jesus is describing here a picture of a problem that we all face. And the problem that we all face is wandering. Or if you want to put it another way, going our way rather than God's way. Because in the story, the Father stands for God. A God who loves us, who made us, who created us, and he made us to live in a relationship with him. And the younger son stands for us, going our own way, living our own lives with self at the centre, ignoring God as well as openly disobeying him. Now, it is this attitude of going our way rather than God's way that the Bible calls sin. Now, it's not a word that is used very often today. So what is sin? What do we mean when we use the word Sin. Well, one friend of mine often says, what's the middle letter of sin? Well, yeah, you all know that. 
sin is basically self, selfishness. I first. I before God and I before other people. So I sin when I do what I want to do rather than what God wants me to do. Or I sin when I can't be bothered with God. Or I sin when I do those things which inwardly I know are wrong. Or I sin when I don't do the things that I know are right. Now, when I was a student, I became a Christian uh, at about the age of 18, 19. And in those days, I had very long hair and a big raccoon skin coat. It was in the 60s. It was, you know, some of you were around in the 60s. I had a headband and flowers and all that stuff. And uh, I was studying anthropology at London University. And I just started, I'd, I'd started to follow Jesus Christ. And uh, I was standing at a tube station waiting to get the underground up to, I lived in a place called Camden Town, if you know the centre of London. And the tube hadn't come in, and I was looking around, and there was a big poster on the wall of a beautiful woman's face. She was really attractive. And then, uh, and then it was advertising soap. Uh, I think it was, or perfume, I can't remember, it was one of those. And the implication was that if you used the soap that the lady used, or the perfume that the lady you would also have a beautiful face like her. I think that was the purpose of the, the poster. Anyway, somebody had written right across the middle of the poster in big black letters with a felt pen, sin is death. And all over the poster, different people, somebody had written underneath, what is sin? Question mark. This was, I'm talking about the 70s or the late 60s, early 70s. And then all over the poster, different people had written what they thought Sin was. It's really interesting. Uh, the tube hadn't come in, so I read it all. And eventually I got my pen out of my pocket. Uh, and I wrote across the bottom of the poster, I said this. Whoever knows what is right to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. And then I signed it James, because there was a person in the Bible called James who said that. Now... There isn't one single person here this morning. There's nobody, actually, there's no one in the whole world who could hold their hands up and say, on that basis, I am not a sinner. All of us are sinners. All of us have broken God's law. Every one of us. We've all fallen short of keeping his law. So that's Act 1, Sick of Home. Now, Act 2 uh, it, uh, sorry, it, it is uh, homesick. Now look at verses 13 to 16. Now I'll just read them out. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. And after he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went, and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Now, we need to listen very carefully because Jesus is here describing in graphic detail the results 
of going our own way. What's going to happen to us when we go our own way, when we live life without God? Now, let's have a look. Scene one, a happy scene. Our young friend has reached the city, the distant country. Life is very exciting. Each day is packed with fun. There are parties to go to each night. He's got a wallet full of money. He's got his father's inheritance. He's got lots of friends. And he finds himself looking back at his brother back at home and actually feeling rather sorry for him. So boring back at home on the farm. Life seemed very quiet. So that's scene one. Scene two, still in the city, but the boom has burst. Hard times have come. People are out of work. Famine stalks the streets. On each street corner, there are groups of men in ragged clothes looking for work. It's everyone for himself. He's got no friends. They've all deserted him. And he's trying to earn a few extra pounds doing odd jobs. Scene three, a rural scene. Not a very pleasant scene, actually. Imagine what was once a beautiful pasture, but now there's not a single blade of grass. In the drought, all the grass has dried up. And our young friend is sitting beneath a tree, a carob tree, and the, he's got a herd of pigs nosing around in the dirt. His head is in his hands. He's in despair. He's desperate. Now, Jesus explains here the awful results of going our own way. Now, listen very carefully, because this is actually incredibly important. The first result of living for ourselves rather than for God is pleasure. He squandered his wealth in wild living, self-indulgence. In other words, he lost all self-control. He thought that it would lead to freedom, but instead it led to slavery. Now, he had a great time to begin with. Don't let anyone tell you that sin is not pleasurable. The Bible is not so naive as to suggest that, but it adds with great realism the fleeting pleasures of sin. And it is the fleeting pleasures of sin which lead many people, particularly young people, away from God. That's the first result, pleasure. Now, the second result what follows pleasure? Emptiness. Actually, Jesus says in the story, he began to be in need. Hunger and humiliation. It's a very vivid phrase. And can I say to you that when we live for ourselves away from God, away from God we find that it eventually leads to emptiness. There will always be a hole inside us. Robbie Williams, in his own inimitable way, describes it in one of his songs. There's a hole in my soul. 
He just spent loads of money on buying a Ferrari and several Porsches and a Mercedes. And he said how empty he felt on the inside. And until we find God, until we know God, until we are in relationship with God, who is our creator and our heavenly father, it doesn't matter how much food, how much drink, how much sex, how many holidays, how many cruises you go on, you will find that actually inside your soul there is a big, deep, inner emptiness. And I know that. I've talked to loads of people. I've talked to billionaires. I've talked to loads of people, people who've been famous, people who are very successful in life in inverted commas, and still there is this deep, deep inner emptiness. And even hard work and success and wealth and an outwardly happy and successful family will not fill the void, the hole inside you. Nothing will fill your soul except God. Because your soul is so big, only God, the living God, can fill it. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Only he can satisfy the hunger inside us. So pleasure, emptiness, and then we read, no one gave him anything. And it is followed by loneliness. The city, which had promised so much excitement and life, had led instead to deep loneliness and despair. Do you know Mother Teresa, who worked with the poorest of the poor in Calcutta, said that the greatest killer in the world was not starvation. The greatest killer in the world is loneliness. And she's absolutely right. And do you know, we are seeing that, we're seeing these three things, and they tend to cluster together, pleasure, emptiness, and loneliness. We are seeing them on a massive scale in this country. There's been so much recently, hasn't there, in the news about the loneliness, not just of older people, but the young. Many, many people in our society are deeply, deeply lonely, and they're empty. And the reason that they've got, they're struggling with that is because they're not in a relationship with God. Now, how does this work out in practice? Well, I brought my friend Paul. He's going to tell you from his own experience and his own life, which was rather more colourful than mine, um, a, a bit about this. So, Paul, over to you. Thank you, Roger. Um, you've actually just told my life story. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I went to school in Leeds. Um, I went to a Catholic primary school and, and grammar school. 
Um, so there were obviously some seeds of faith sown within me, but, but I don't ever remember anybody telling me three things that as an evangelist now I want everybody to know, that, that God made you, that, that God loves you, and that God desires a personal relationship with you. I don't ever remember anybody telling me that. Uh, I have to be honest, that Christianity really uh, didn't uh, float my boat, as it were. Uh, but what I was interested in was the Beatles. Uh, the Beatles came along, and I was fascinated with them. Uh, I idolised them. Um, I wanted to be a Beatle. I wanted to, all the trappings that went with it. Uh, I became a professional drummer, became a professional musician because of the Beatles. Uh, my father was a very, very troubled man. Uh, my father was an alcoholic, suffered with deep depression, didn't work. M- my mother worked really hard as a nurse to put all the put food on the table and school uniforms and so forth. Uh, but I remember uh, when I was about 12 making a vow, when I get old, I'm going to have everything that I want. And that's pretty much how I lived my life uh, until the year of 2010. Um, I went to music college when I was 16. Uh, despite all the, uh, the damage and fear that I'd seen my father's lifestyle and the impact it had upon my brother and my mother, I started drinking as well uh, for several reasons. One, it was illegal. It was rebellious. My rebellious heart wanted to rebel against stuff. Secondly, I thought it would make me more attractive to girls. And thirdly, I thought it might make me a better musician because it, it worked against me in, in all of those counts. Um, I got married for the first time uh, when I was 25, uh, that lasted two years because certain things didn't work out in that marriage for me. If you'd have said to me, Paul, what's the purpose of meaning in life then? I would have said the pursuit of my happiness and my pleasure. I was the king of my life. I knew the best way to live my life and nobody else was going to tell me that. And things weren't working out. So we live in a disposable society. So I'll get rid of that wife and I'll get another one, uh, which is what I did. I, I, I met a girl who was, uh, I would say, born to sing. Um, we travel the world together, um, entertaining. We travel up and down this land. Uh, we worked uh, in abroad. We worked for 12 to 14 years on some of those prestigious cruise ships. Um, and our life was filled with partying. It was filled with the acquisition of stuff. Uh, and for me, there was this backdrop of getting drunk every day. Uh, and it's interesting, isn't it? Because the three things that were going on in my life were hedonism, the pursuit of my happiness and my pleasure, materialism, the collecting of stuff, and alcoholism, a dependency uh, and, and putting a trust and getting my confidence and purpose in life out of substances. Interesting, isn't it? Hedonism, materialism, alcoholism. They all end up in ism, I, S, and M. And I say that stands for I, self, and me. Um, You might be saying now, well, Paul, clearly the issue that you had in life was the amount that you were drinking. Well, I I would say no. Um, I would say that was a symptom. The problem was my selfish, corrupt, evil heart. You see, the the thing is, is that we're all made to worship God. We're made in God's image and we're made to worship him. And if you don't worship God, you'll end up worshiping something else. It's it's what happens. Um, And I know that. For all of those years, I was worshipping fame, I was worshipping fortune, I was worshipping success, I was worshipping sex, I was worshipping money, I was worshipping alcohol. But as Roger described in that story, none of that was fulfilling it. In fact, I was digging myself in deeper and deeper into a bigger hole. The things I was putting my trust and my confidence in to fill that, that, that longing and that loneliness with inside my heart was actually making the hole bigger and bigger and bigger. 
Now, my father, on my 21st birthday, uh, never uh, met Jesus Christ. My father, to my knowledge, uh, he never really got any, any help. Um, and he'd had several attempts to take his life because he, he was just so lost. Uh, and on my 21st birthday, he called me and said, Paul, happy birthday, son. I'm going to kill myself today. Um, and, and sadly, he did do. Um, and I started to think in my middle 40s that maybe like father, like son. Uh, because despite all the money I was making, despite all the success, that despite having lots of celebrity friends and living an amazing lifestyle, this, this emptiness was getting bigger and bigger. And my dependency upon substances was getting more and more extreme. And I started to have this thought in my mind that if my father's destiny was, was to kill himself when I was 54 years old, maybe when I was 54 years old, that might be my destiny. So I started to think, well, if that's the case, I'm going to live my life. I'm going to party today, make, make, make joy today as much as I can. Uh, in the year 2004, that, uh, that lifestyle brought me to the end of my second marriage. I, I was shocked. I was amazed. We were, we were working on the world's most luxurious cruise line. I'd got some really world-famous celebrity friends. We were making so much money. We just bought an apartment in Spain. We got a house in this, con- uh, in this country. And my wife, John, said, I- I've had enough. And I went, Why? We've never been better off. She said, I'm sick of seeing you drink yourself unconscious with a litre cognac every day. Now, you might have thought at this time that I would have uh, thought, Paul, I need, you need to get some help. I came up with a different uh, plan. Uh, I thought that if I'm going to have the same destiny as my father, then I'm just going to party until the money runs out. We divided the money in half. I'd got 10 credit cards. I'd got a, a real wallet full of, of money. And uh, I, I went about partying. I thought I'm going to meet lots of women, go to the finest of restaurants. But you see, everything had stopped working for me. Um, I came to York, back to York, because I was in so much trouble. I met another girl. Uh, I got married again. I thought she could save me. She couldn't. She saw me through some of my darkest hours. But what happened in 2010 was not only was nothing working, but I'd run out of money. So I, 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 I followed my plan. My plan was to, when, 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 when I'd come to the end of all of that, that I would fulfill my destiny the same as my father. I booked into a hotel room in, in New York. I thought I'd been in there for uh, about three days. I'd actually been in there three weeks, just drinking 24-7. Um, there was a, a book very similar to this one in that hotel room that gave me some comfort. I used to flick through the pages of that. But around about the 26th of April 2010, I decided I'd had enough. You see, the big hole that I dug myself into by all of my wrong sinful choices, um, it stripped me of all hope. It stripped me of any purpose. I could see no purpose at all in living a life. My life was a chaos. How could it have turned out to be like this? I wanted to be a beetle. And there I have now, I've, I've got rid of everything in my career, my relationships. It's just a train wreck, absolute chaos. All I wanted was peace. And I thought that way would be to take my own life. I'd collected lots of tablets um, from the chemists. And, and I, I remember taking all of these tablets, a lot of booze, and laying down with the Bible on my chest and thinking, finally, some peace, some escape from this chaos. This is my way out. I woke up three hours later. Uh, and there was silence in that room. 
And in the midst of that silence, I heard that still small voice that the Bible talks about. I didn't meet Jesus in a fire. I didn't meet him in a storm. I didn't meet him in, 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 in thunder and lightning. It was a still small voice that deep inside to me said to me, Paul, there's another way. There's another solution. Uh, and I know in that moment that I met the Prince of Peace because three hours earlier, I had no purpose. I was so full of fear and hopelessness. I heard that voice. I kid you not, I knew straight away there was a reason to live. I knew there was a purpose to be on this planet. I knew there was a way out. I had no idea how I was going to get out of this incredible mess that I was in. But I knew that everything was going to be okay. And and in that moment, I I prayed my first real prayer. And I believe it's the most effective prayer anybody can pray in any situation, whether it's a small situation in your life or whether it's a big situation like, like mine was at that moment. And I cried out to a God that I don't know whether I believed in. I don't know whether he was listening from the evidence of my life. I certainly don't know if he cared. But I went, if you're real, I need some help right now. And uh, it did do, clearly, because I'm here today. And the reason why I know that he walked in that room definitely is two years ago I was speaking at a student event. And before I spoke, I found a Gideon's Bible in my hotel room. And I wondered what it could have been that brought me comfort rather than just the holding the book. And I opened it up and the first verse on the inside of that book was for people that are, that are feeling suicidal. And it says, Jesus says, John 10.10, 10, I have come so that you can have life and life in all of its fullness. Great. Thank you. Let's say thank you. Thanks, Paul. Mm. Great. So, let's just finish off the story. Uh, Go back to the the story that Jesus tells. Uh, The final act is Act 3, Home. And uh, a number of short scenes. Scene 1, our young friend, he was under the tree, his head was in his hands... He was in despair, like Paul was in the hotel room. He begins to think of his father, his father's servants, and he says, they're better off than I am, even though I'm a son. So he comes to his senses and he gets up and he heads on back to his father. And he admits his failure, Father, I have sinned against you. That's scene one. Scene two, a wonderful scene, the father, the waiting father, He's been there every day waiting for his son and then he sees his young son coming home. He's in rags, he's limping and as soon as he sees him, what does he do? He breaks into a run, he runs down the drive and he throws his arms around his son and he welcomes him back. He puts a robe on his back, ring on his fingers, sandals on his feet. And then scene three, and this is important, there's a It's a party, there's dancing, there's music, and there's the older son in the fields. And he's furious when he hears that his younger brother is back. And his father pleads with him to come in, and he refuses to go in. I've never disobeyed you, he says. He's expecting some reward for all the work that he's done. And he's furious with his brother. He doesn't even call him my brother. He calls him this son of yours. Now, as I finish, what's Jesus teaching? He's teaching us a number of things. The first one is this. It doesn't matter whether you've been a prodigal or not. Some of us 
have been prodigals. Paul was a, was a prodigal. <coughs> but there are other people who are not so prodigal. The, the way back to the Father is the same for everyone. It's whether you've been religious or irreligious, whether you've been good, in inverted commas, or not so good, whether you're intelligent or whether you're not particularly intelligent. None of these things matter. The key is the way back. And the way back to the Father is the same for everyone. And it involves... First of all, admitting that you need some help. Now, Paul did that. He was desperate. I wasn't so desperate. My life wasn't anything like Paul's. But I knew that I didn't have this relationship with God. I didn't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So I I needed to ask Jesus Christ. And I wonder if you've ever done that. And the second thing it teaches me is of the wonderful love of God. God is love. Your sin breaks his heart, but he loves you. In fact, his son died of a broken heart on the cross. And it also teaches me that it's possible to miss the party because the older son stands for those of us who've not rebelled, who've not been prodigals, but who refuse to receive the love of God, our Father. And it's easy to get caught up in performing religious duties for God and our spiritual lives become more of a duty and a chore rather than a loving relationship. Now, uh, I want to give you a chance to take this step for yourself uh, this morning. Uh, I'll just tell you how I did this and then I'm going to give you a chance to, to follow me. Uh, This all came to a head for me when I was at university. I'd been searching in many of the wrong places for God. And then somebody explained to me about Jesus Christ. And uh, I remember sitting in the balcony of this church in the West End upstairs. And the preacher, the vicar said, I'm going to have a prayer, a prayer, a simple prayer of commitment. And if you'd like to pray this prayer where I say sorry, I thank God. I thank Jesus Christ for dying for me and I receive him into my heart. If you'd like to pray that prayer, you can pray that prayer with me now, he said. And then he said, after the service has finished, everybody will be leaving the church. It was a big church. There were over a thousand people in it. And he said, I'd like you to come and see me. And he said, you'll have to push your way against the crowds as they leave And I'd like to give you a little booklet, he said. And and then he added, but you might as well learn that now because it'll be like that for the rest of your life. And he was absolutely right. So I pushed my way against the crowd. There were a number of us. And I went up to him and I said, I've prayed with you today. Please, can I have a copy of your booklet? And that was the beginning for me of my Christian life. That was 50 years ago, nearly 50 years ago. So I'm going to have a a little prayer. I've got a a booklet here which uh, we give out when when I'm working with the Archbishop of York. It's called Start a New Life. It explains how you can start this life. And I'm going to just say the prayer at the the back of the book. 
And if, you're, if, you're, if you've not yet taken this step and you'd like to, if you're not ready to, and you'll know whether you're ready to, you don't need to join me. But if you are ready and you'd like to, I'd like to encourage you to pray with me. And then after the service is finished, Paul and I will be up at the front and we'd love to give you a, a little booklet to help you along the way. So let's just bow our heads and we'll say a prayer together. So I want to just ask, as we're praying, where do you feel you are in the story that we've just heard? Have you come to an end of yourself? Are you ready to return to your heavenly father? Where are you on that um, line of pleasure, emptiness and loneliness? Where would you put yourself? Or do you identify more with the older son? Try, you've been trying to live a good life, but you feel a long way away from God. You haven't been a prodigal, but somehow it's all rather dead. And you'd love to have this relationship with Jesus Christ, a, a loving, personal relationship. Where, who do you identify with? So here's a prayer. It's very similar to the prayer I prayed all those years ago when I was in that church in London, which got me started on the Christian life. And you can pray this prayer with me. I'll just pray it um, slowly, and you can pray the prayer quietly in your heart, and then come and have a chat with me afterwards. I'll be I'll be up at the front. So, Lord Jesus Christ, I admit that I have sinned and I've gone my own way. I need your forgiveness. I am willing to turn away from all that I know is wrong. I want to go with you. I want you to be first in my life. Thank you for dying on the cross to take away my sins. Thank you for your gift of forgiveness and new life. I now take your gift. And I ask you now to come into my life by your Holy Spirit. Come in to fill my life. Come in as my Savior and Lord. And come in to be with me forever. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. And uh, we pray, Lord, for any this morning who've responded in simple faith and have called out to you. We pray that you'll help them to know that you've, they've been accepted by you and help us to help them along the way. In Jesus' name, amen.